Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to It's Not a Crisis. I am your host, Doran Wallach. I'm an entrepreneur, a mother of two, a wife, and a 40-something trying to figure out what is happening in this decade. Why is no one talking about it? I created this podcast to help women in their late 30s and 40s to figure out what is going on in our mind, body, soul, and life. We may laugh, we may cry, we may get frustrated, but most importantly, my goal is to make this next chapter of life positive. I'm also full of my own questions and I'm here to go on this journey with you. So let's do it together. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. I am so happy to have you here. I wanted to talk about something today that I think is really important. And while it's not specific to being the age that we are, I think a lot of us have tweens and teens at this stage of our lives. And this pandemic has kicked our butt and it has kicked their butts. And, uh, you know, here we are one year later. We've really not taken care of ourselves this year. Some of us have lost sight of even what that means. We've lost it on our children more times than we want to admit, which I think is very normal right now, unfortunately. And I also think there's a little resentment in the air, not towards our kids, but that the world for sort of putting us in this situation. I was a sociology major in college, so my brain goes in this direction, but I I really have found myself thinking, how is this affecting our kids a year later and how is it going to affect affect them for the rest of their lives? How's it going to affect us as well? But, But more importantly, our relationship even with our children. So I felt that this was really important to kind of weed out what are the things that are going on with our kids right now as they're coming kind of out of this. We're still in the middle of this. And what are we going to do for our relationship with them going forward? I want to tell you a little story that happened to me last night. As you know, I'm very honest on this podcast. I went to hug my 10 and a half year old son goodnight last night. And for some reason, when he was hugging me, he's gotten so tall and and he was hugging me and i just started to cry and i i've i'm not saying i've held it together in this pandemic but i actually have not had a crying meltdown in this pandemic which is shocking and i just started to cry and he's like mommy what's wrong and i said you've just gotten so tall and i just feel like all of a sudden you're a big kid and this like crappy year just went by and while we spent so much time together and, you know, we got to see a ton of each other and and there were some fun moments. I also felt really sad because I felt like it was almost a year wasted as a mom because I was just so anxious and stressed and emotional and our brains were so tired and, and we were so tired. And, you know, you just want to kind of want to have a do over. I don't want my children to resent me. So I think that I think that that's it was a whole bunch of things. And then I just started bawling and then uh, alone in my room. <laughs> and then um, I was okay. But it was interesting to me. I think my body needed to do that. And I think that it was just one of those moments. So with that being said, I'm very excited today to bring onto the show Dr. Regine Maradian, who is a licensed clinical psychologist, children's author, speaker, consultant, and mental health advocate. In her clinical practice, Dr. Maradian works with children, adolescents, and adults who present with a wide range of emotional stressors. She specializes in anxiety and is a certified clinical anxiety treatment professional, CCATP, ADHD, depression, eating disorders, body image, and executive functioning and leadership training. Dr. Maradian is also a specialist in psychological personality and neuropsychological assessments. Dr. Maradian is fluent in French, Romanian, Hebrew, and Armenian, that's super impressive, and incorporates her multicultural background and experiences in her clinical practice and trainings. Her focus is on helping people find their passion through exploring their inner strengths and bring these to the surface. There is no age limit to success as it all starts with an idea. How you generate and create that idea is the path to ultimate success. Hey, guys, first of all, before I uh, talk to Maradian, before you come on, I'm on a cleanse today and um, 
for some reason, I I, I can't speak. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm either hungry or dry mouth. Or I don't know what's going on. Dr. Maradian, welcome to the show today. Thank you. Thank you, Doran, for having me. Such a pleasure. God, this this topic is so important. I was prepping for this with you, and I and I apologize because it was almost as if I, I didn't know what we should speak about because there is just so much going on, and, and there are so many directions that this can go in right now. And I think as moms, we're super concerned about our kids. And, you know, I know for me, like I just mentioned, I'm, I'm really concerned about my relationship with my kids. Uh, they, they are really pulling away. They're spending a lot of time in their rooms. And I don't know if that's just being their age or if that's this pandemic, because I've sort of been in the thick of the beginning teen years. My kids are 10 and a half and 13 and a half. And so the tween teen years started in this pandemic. Uh, so it's for someone like me, it's kind of a hard transition and it's hard to figure out what's going on. So uh, I'm glad you're here to kind of straighten this out a little bit for all of us. Yes. Um, oh gosh, I, I loved your story because it's so relatable and that's such a great example to bring up because, you know, pre-pandemic, I feel we already felt like we were on this kind of motor go-go movement, right? We were busy, but also like you were mentioning, some kids have been in distance learning and some kids have been actually in school. However, we're seeing two different types of kind of stressors that are occurring. So one of them is, you know, very possible what you described is this social isolation that they're just so used to. But again, from experience, I'm noticing that they want to communicate now more than ever. That's interesting. So uh, l- let's just kind of start at the beginning. Um, my kids are pretty communicative sometimes. You know, it depends. It depends on what it is, what, it, what it's about. I think that's most kids. I think throughout the lockdown and a lot of the the summer into fall, there were a lot of check-ins. How are you? You know, how are you doing? And then, you know, you think back to when you were their, their age, it, uh, one year of doing something in one way is how life is, right? I mean, that you do something for a year in my mind, like, oh, this is what life is now. I don't even remember what happened before this, even though they do. I don't really, I don't know how much they actually do. My kids are obviously happy in their rooms on devices because that's their socialization and they're they're with their friends and you don't want to take that from them. And at the same time, you want to kind of bring them outside and, and show them the world. What is a way to recognize if your child is struggling with this kind of, we're saying post-COVID, I know we're in the middle of COVID, but we are a year out and I think it's enough time to kind of see like where our children are. So Yes. Um, well, I think that let's look over just the common things that a parent can look out for or a caregiver is, you know, just this feeling of them not wanting to talk as much, feeling a little more withdrawn. And I always encourage parents, you know, despite like you were mentioning the check-ins in the summer, I, you know, this is something I even now more than ever is even if they do push you away or don't want you to come in their room or they don't want to talk, I wouldn't take that as a denial or as a rejection. I would actually, as a parent, encourage to still do the check-in and I'm here if you want to talk and how are you feeling? Because just in general, as teens, I mean, you either have an extrovert teen or tween or teen who just spills all the beans, so to speak, and is very communicative in that way. But then you have kids who are more introverts and who have a harder time sharing how they feel. So parents, you know, usually they'll know where which bracket their child falls in. But regardless of an introvert or extrovert, I think now more than ever, communication is so, so key because they are so used to this, so to speak, like you said, they wake up in the morning, they're on their screen, they're in bed, they don't really exit the room besides eating something or maybe going outside. So I think as a parent, you know, really trusting their intuition and just as a first step, you know, if you're checking in four to five times or six times or encouraging them to leave their room and do something or taking a walk, you know, really prompting your tween tween and what would you like to do with me? And I call that special time. I can't get my 13-year-old to do that, any of that with me. I mean, I really, every single day, I'm like, let's watch a show. Why don't we take a walk? Do you want to come with me to run an errand? I mean, it's no, no, I'm tired. No, I don't want to. No, I don't want to. And 
And, you know, I know, I know part of this is teen, but she, she actually, so my daughter is in school two to three times a week. She does school from her bed. She leaves her blackout shades down all day long and, and she loves it. Like she loves the pandemic. She's, she's much more of an introvert, but I don't want her to love this. (laughs) I want her to kind of want her to not love it so much and then be happy on the day she's in school. So for a a child like that, there are some kids who genuinely like really enjoy this because it means that they don't have to socialize that means with us as well. So so what would be your suggestion for a child like that? Yes. I, I love you bring that up because I, I think you see the, the kids who are really loving this pandemic and yeah. thriving. So a lot of kids, believe it or not, are thriving. And then you have the other gamut of kids who are having a real hard time just because you need to be very structured, I feel, and very type A personality or distance learning. You have to be on top of it and organized. So for the kids who are more, I want to say, just pre-personal, just say their personality, they're just um, more detached, so to speak, in terms of they don't really need a lot of social stimulation. Right now, you know, one of the negative effects of just them socially isolating in their room, like you're describing, is they really lose the exercise of socializing with others. Because remember before when they were in school, they were kind of forced into that environment despite them feeling socially anxious. But I do agree, one of those signs of them being in their room all day and and just really detaching from you, not wanting to talk, that's a red flag in terms of, you know, you know, let me put my my wellness hat on and say something like, well, you know, maybe this is something I need to pay attention to. This is something I need to start a conversation. I want to go back to what you were saying about the special time and my kid won't do anything. I get that question quite a lot. So I always shift the dialogue and ask them what they want to do. And they may say, I don't want to do anything. I'm like, well, we do have to choose one thing and you choose because at the end of the day, it's all about control. And when kids don't feel that they are in control, then most likely they'll say something like, well, I don't want to do that. I'm not in the mood for that. And I think that the more you do push, they, you know, they do want the attention. They do want to spend time with you. So a lot of times behaviors that are more regressive in nature or kids who are more socially anxious, they actually need more attention than ever right now. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. I think that, I guess, in my daughter, the only time she wants to be with me is when we're going to get something for her or going to an appointment for her. <laughs> Tonight, I have to take her to an appointment. She's like, can we go to McDonald's so I can get one of those St. Patrick's Day shakes that I've been dying to have? And I'm like, all right, I guess if that's an extra time in the car together, you can have the shake. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Spending time together. But um, so I shouldn't take that personally, that that's the only time she wants to be with me is when it, there's something in it for her. So that, that's a that's a good thing then, I guess. That's that we're a good here. thing, yes. And even that, you know, I'm saying something like, oh, do you want to come for a walk with me? Or you know, out of the blue, if she says that, you know, really taking that to heart and listening, because that's just her saying, I want to spend time, or can we go to McDonald's afterwards? That's us spending time. So really using those opportunities and moments to kind of start chatting and how they're feeling. Because I feel that a lot of times, just through my clinical experiences, kids are not sharing emotions, not because they don't want to, is because they don't know how to identify them. So you know, if you go to online, there's so many emotion charts out there and, you know, really describing feelings. And this kind of works really well, even well, better with the younger ones, but print these out, you put them on the wall and this really helps parents engage in those uh, conversations. Cause a lot of times when kids cannot express what they feel, it turns into frustration and anger. And that's why oh, just leave the room. You know, I, I don't want to talk about anything because they're just not able to access those emotions. So another tip I want to give, and you know, I'm a mom of three as well. And I advise this to my kids also is journaling and just having like a journal where she can kind of even write her emotions and feelings. And I think that's another way to kind of, I call it the purging process of letting these emotions out. So charts I'm talking about will say something like, I'm frustrated, I'm overwhelmed, I'm anxious today. And then every day they can just write a word in there and say why. So that's a way a parent can really help open that conversation up. I think she, you know, I think she keeps her own journal that's personal to her, which which is great. I'm glad that she does it. I know she was doing it this summer. I don't know. You know, it's it's funny with my daughter, actually, I find sometimes we communicate better by text. 
you know, I'll, I'll say to her last night, something happened. And I said, can I come talk to you? And she's like, no, I don't want to get out of bed. I'm like, I you know I went back and said, please let me just come in for five minutes to talk to you. And she said, no. And I said, okay, I'm going to text you then. She said, okay. And sometimes I can text her and she's able to express herself a little bit better. And that's kind of what happened. So I guess that's a, a, a sort of a digital journaling in a sense. <laughs> yeah. And, that, and that's a generational thing too. I think they just communicate better on text because they're just so used to. But, the, you know, you, you bring up something so important as it reminds me, they are now forced to, they're craving socialization, right? A lot of kids. So they're, you're, they're being forced to somehow have the FaceTime now. So I, I'm just thinking about some positives out of all of this and how they're socializing nowadays is, you know, they're really looking forward actually to FaceTiming their friends or Zooming. Whereas before, it was all text. And my concern back then pre-pandemic was if all they're doing is texting to communicate and they don't really talk on the phone like we used to. I remember those days. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. For hours. <laughs> right. We would talk for hours and there was only maybe one or two phones in the house. And um, but now there's less of that. I was even seeing decreased eye contact. And yes. Right. And yep. Um, not able to go up to the teacher and speak up for yourself. Like, okay, number 33 was actually correct, but you marked it wrong. So then it goes down back to self-esteem and confidence. And that's something I was working on a lot, uh, you know, in my practice was really helping kids to improve self-confidence, speak up for themselves. I tell my kids this all the time, you know, just really empowering them to do it versus us taking on that charge. So now that's one of the positives, I think, with distance learning and this whole Zoom culture now is they're actually forced now to speak to one another, right, uh, verbally. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah, no, I do. I, you know, I think my daughter will, you know, FaceTime a friend. She, she kind of walks around with her laptop through the house with a friend with her. But, but I, what I've noticed with both of my kids is actually when we're anywhere in public, and I, I actually think I'm guilty of it too, they you know, aren't making eye contact with people. I don't know if it's like they feel like if they look at somebody, they're going to get COVID, you know, but if they're really like ordering lunch or whatever it may be, uh, I've noticed that that's changed a lot. Whereas I really raised two kids to be like, make eye contact when you're speaking to somebody and really look at them. You know, I don't know if that's just their own fears. Uh, and, and actually, before I go to that, I just want to go back to what you were saying. My my younger son, I mean, my son, I don't have more than one. <laughs> he... um he goes to school every day and has since day one. Uh, they, he goes to a very small school. They've made it work. And when he gets home, he is so drained. He just wants to go on his iPad or whatever after he's done his homework. But he then talks to some other kids on there that are outside of school friends. And so, but he just needs to kind of do that alone and be away. I think I think they're being watched like hawks right now in school when they are in school to make sure that they're doing everything appropriately, which, which must be exhausting for them. I can't even imagine. Yes. Yes. I think, you know, all these things you bring up are, are so important. And a lot of kids, like you said, have seen, you know, they've seen the classroom, they've been in the classroom, but we're not, we're not, do we have to keep in mind to what that's like for them? I mean, right now I'm prepping a lot of students to return and even for your child, I think even for the children who have been in school, think about it. They're returning to a different environment. First of all, there's less kids in the class. There's probably, you know, these shields around the desk. They have to wear the mask all day. The teacher's wearing a mask and a shield. Um, There's a lot of policing, I'm assuming, in terms, like you said, you know, keeping their distance, et cetera. So I always think about, look, and and I'm all for safety. I mean, I'm safe in my own office as much as we can in terms of disinfecting and doing all that. But, you know, think about as as a parent, if you were the type of parent where your kid was, you wanted them to be exposed to germs and play in the mud and do all these things to all of a sudden now we're doing the opposite. And we know that playing in the mud and getting dirty is very, very healthy. And now we're going into this mental space of don't touch that, don't touch this, wash your hands. So kind of like this OCD like behavior, so to speak. And you're, you know, it's true with, it's been a year and we're primed. I know you and I were talking about this. We're primed to behave this way and think this way. Do you think these kids are all going to be OCD 
<laughs> permanently after this? Oh gosh, you know, that's that's a good question. I mean, you know, we can only assume to, to what I'm seeing and what could happen, right? So right. more OCD-like behaviors, yes. Is it possible that we may see, you know, OCD is 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 genetic, right? So a lot of times it's a right. I'm, and I and, and you know what I apologize because I didn't mean to say that uh, they were gonna I, I understand it's genetic. I just meant yes, behavior yes. OCD like behaviors, as you said. Absolutely. Yes, yes. I know I I'm I'm very conservative with diagnoses because a lot of the times, you know, um, I mean, you could develop like, you know, like, you know, they say you're developing um, narcissistic traits or OCD traits. I, I could open that book. I always say to families, I can open our DSM-5 book and I think we will all meet criteria from something. Right. Um, but the OCD traits, definitely. I mean, you know, from them just putting sanitizer on their hands, cleaning everywhere. And that has, you know, it's a fear, right? That has been built in. But, you know, I do believe that with parent redirection and it's all about getting them back outside and back into the world. And I think as vaccinations are increasing, things are slowly, slowly getting better. So we do have to prime them. I don't feel, you know, look, here in California, a lot of kids haven't been back, are are slowly returning. I mean, the public school is a little slower and a lot of kids are scared to go back, to be honest. And when you really ask them why they're scared, it's not really about COVID. It's more about, well, I forgot how to study. Yeah. Weird, right? Getting up in the morning, putting my uniform on or my clothes or whatever. Now I have to worry how I look, right? I have to put all that effort in getting dressed. Now it's more comfortable at home. So I am seeing both gamuts or you have the kids who are so excited to go and can't wait. Yeah, no, that my, I can't even imagine. I, I, not that I've forgotten about California, but I know how many kids have not even been in school yet, and uh, it's been kind of wishy-washy here. Uh, Sometimes, you know, they've called them out. There's some parents who have kids just completely remote, but school is full time. But I would imagine that's that's very scary. I think that's scary for a teenager to begin with, <laughs> to get up every day and figure out what you're going to wear and go to school. And now all of a sudden you haven't been doing that and you have to start doing that. I mean, there's so much there's so much on these kids right now. Um, I even think you know, I've asked my daughter, I said, do you want to have a sleepover with a friend? And she's like, is it okay? And I said, listen, I mean, uh, you guys get tested every week in school. I'm willing to take the risk. I think it's something that you need to do. But it's, you know, as a parent, you're you're not always sure if you're doing the right thing, but you also want them to feel somewhat normal. And it's it's difficult to make those decisions. Yes. And, and I like how you approached it because we have to look at this with balance. You know, we can't be on the extreme socially. I, I mean, I certainly was in the middle during this whole, you know, pandemic in the sense where you're being cautious, but at the same time, not overly cautious in the sense where you can't do this, you can't do that. Because see, if that's the only message that they're receiving, it's really impacting their mental health. I think even for us, what's been really helpful is having that discussion and, you know, that you're protecting your grandparents. And now that grandparents have the vaccine, we're just kind of like loosening it up a little bit. So like you said, the sleepover issue is not unreasonable because, you know, you have to weigh it in. And I think you're weighing it in and going into the middle of, well, this is healthy for her. This is good for her. We have to somewhat introduce some normal, right? Or even just hanging out with the same friend or couple friends in the meantime until we transition them back. Because think about it, come fall, we're talking football games. We're talking theater productions. We're talking, again, being in this mass of people, most likely, right? They're slowly, slowly opening up Indoor, I mean, here in California, all indoor restaurants, I believe by today is open. So we somewhat have to transition slowly because can you imagine putting even, you know, your child or kids who are even more socially anxious in that huge crowd, they've been bombarded with the message, stay apart, stay apart, stay apart. So there's something to be spoken about that. So I am about, I'm, you know, we do, we haven't been in a, this kind of pandemic before, so we're you know, taking this as we go. But I think, again, it's reintroducing slowly, just like you would take your driver's license. You know, there's all of these steps and things that you have to do prior to getting your license, for example. So I feel that that's so important to divide it into chunks for these kiddos so that they're aware of what's coming, what it's going to look like, and most importantly, to share how they're feeling about that. Can you give an example of what you just said, just how that would play out? 
Well, this is kind of going into what I was, we were briefly mentioning before the active listening tips. Active listening is so important because this is where, this is how we really decrease conflict and improve communication with our kids. So for example, paying attention to the feeling and the emotion and the behavior. So for example, a parent could say, or a caregiver, I can see how frustrated you feel, or I could see how hard it must be to be in your room all day. Or if they share something with you, oh, that sounds very stressful, Or another example could be, I can see how that would make you feel overwhelmed. So again, we're sharing back the emotion that they're sharing with us, right? Or even helping them find those emotions. Right there, you are practicing validation and that you are all ears, you're present. This is why I'm so big on getting on the floor, having eye contact. And now they know that they are the only thing in the world (laughs) and the most thing in that room and you will see how they will start slowly slowly opening up by the way i just want to i just want to interrupt and let you know that yesterday at lunch we went to lunch with my father-in-law and his girlfriend because they're vaccinated finally and um we outside of my son said uh, you know he, he tends to blurt out a lot and just talk 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 and we were having a conversation and you know he'd start talking and we, i'd kind of be listening to two conversations at once and i'd say you know rex the conversation's not over but i was talking first you never listen ever it doesn't matter what i'm saying never ever ever listen and in my head i'm thinking to myself but that's because you're always talking. So sometimes I just sort of tune it out, not intentionally, you know, uh, but but when you just said active listening, I'm like, oh, boy, uh, obviously, when something's important, I, I actually do that. I do say, oh, that, that must be so frustrating for you. And I, you know, I can see how sad you are about that. But I do think after a year of being together, a lot of us have started to kind of tune them out a little bit when they talk, which, you know, I, I get is hard for them, but it's also hard to explain to them. But you're also interrupting a conversation that two people are having. No, I I know. And I I think what you're describing, and correct me if I'm wrong, does that happen mostly when there's other people around? It happens whether it's just our family or we're watching a TV show together or we're having a family dinner together. Yes. So it's, you're right. It doesn't happen when we're alone together because you know, he usually has, I love, we just moved out of the city. I mentioned this in every podcast, but it's relevant to my life right now. And I love being in the car with him because he talks to me and he has my undivided attention. I never had that before in the past. So it's, it's actually something I really cherish between us. But yes, when those moments happen where you never listen to me ever, you never listen to what I'm saying, there's usually about 40 things going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah you nailed it. And look, also, like I was telling you, I'm a mama three. That does happen. That's very normal. It's just because they, they feel like they're on this race and they feel that they're not going to get their message across. So they have to interrupt and speak at 100 miles an hour to make sure that everything gets through. So that's a perfect example. And, you know, that goes back to role modeling, right? As parents, when, when we're in the room and that is happening because I feel just like you said, you sharing that emotion too on how you felt. I'm like, I really want to hear what you have to say, but right now mommy has to finish what she has to say, right? So if you were in the middle of a conversation or if it's a sibling that your child's interrupting, same thing, right? Is stopping them where they're at. Like, we do want to hear what you have to say, but let's let Jenny finish her thought or whatever it is, because then they're watching us model that and they're going to do the same thing with other people. So that's the nice positive attention that they will get from that. But most likely, like you said, when that's usually when it happens is when there's a crowd of people or when there's a lot of external stimulation. So I, I praise parents, you know, that's wonderful that you even noticed it because that's the first step is, oh, I did notice that. So how do I rectify that? Or how do I do it differently next time? Okay. So that's, that's good to hear that that's not just me because you feel terrible. I do listen to you. I just can't, you know, I can't do everything at once. By the way, another topic that's going to need to come up at some point, which is much more not common in the West Coast where you are, but in the Northeast, for those of us who have kids that have been going to sleepaway camp, there are a lot of the camps are actually running this summer. And that, and that I would imagine for our kids, you know, that's going to be a very exciting and scary transition also. So I was just, as you were speaking about going back to school, I'm thinking, oh God, I need to really prep them for what it's going to be like to go to camp this summer. Cause I think it's going to be amazing for them, you know, no devices and just being with other kids. 
and they get tested and then they are, they're kind of mask free for the rest of the summer, which is great after a couple of times. But at the same time, yeah, that's a, that's a, anyway, that's, that's a whole other topic, but um, I think it's something for parents to think about. If you do have a child that is going to go away this summer, I don't think it's the same as sending them any other summer. I think there's really kind of a, a, a lot of questions and a lot of talks that are going to need to happen before that. Yes. And, and usually with that, it's, I've been getting that question a lot. It's so interesting. You mentioned that my daughter asked me, Oh, I want to go to this camp. There's this camp she loves every summer. And I, I was a little, you know, you're stopping in your tracks. Um, I didn't say anything. I just, oh, that sounds wonderful. Well, let's look into it. But that's the first thing that came to my mind is what is that going to look like, right? And uh, that's a very reasonable thing to think about. But um, I think most importantly is kids saying things like, well, I really want to go because I love going there, but I'm kind of afraid of this or this or that. How am I going to be safe? So um, I always tell parents, try to make you know, your own investigation in terms of what it looks like. Maybe there's a website, maybe there's a Zoom uh, where your child can ask questions and the parents as well. Because I feel like the better prepped there are and they're aware of what their environment is going to look like, the less anxious they will feel and so will the parent. Well, it's interesting. Our camp did a very long kind of town hall where they said what camp was going to look like this summer. And neither of my kids wanted to listen to it. They had no interest. And I, I emailed us them and said, if you want to listen to it on your own time, I said, do you want us to tell you what's going to happen? No, we're fine. So I'm like, okay. I think that they want to, they'd want to know, but... I don't know if that's a defense mechanism or what. Yeah, and and I think you know if you if you have that resistance, it's okay too. And just stepping back and saying, well, if you want to hear what it's going to look like or anything, I'm here to share, right? Because maybe also that's their just way. Um, it could be some form of defense, but also resistance to hear uh, what they think it's going to be like, and also encouraging. Well, if you want to hear more, look, I can tell you. We can look over it. But I wouldn't be forceful and say, no, I'm going to tell you everything. This is what it's going to look like. Okay. Okay, good. They're they're resilient. You know, kids are the same way we got into this and it took three months, Dorian. I think the same will happen as we're going back. And but this time around, you know, when we went into this, we didn't know what to say. I mean, I didn't know what to say. I don't know what this is going to look like. But now we're more prepared, right? And I think they need to feel that we're telling them they're safe and that it's okay. I think that's where the reassurance needs to happen, right? Because we can't say, no, you're going to stay in all day. You can't get out of your room. You can go walk around the block, but that's pretty much it because that's not really going to help them uh, or even the kids around the country into readjustment. And even for your children and all the children who have been in school, a readjustment could also be taking off the mask or teachers taking off their mask or the shields coming off the table, that could also be a form of adjusting, right? So, you know, we're, we're looking again, I'm just predicting here about a year out to hopefully sooner of some normalcy. Yeah, that's, it seems like it's probably about right. So I just want to go into the topic of all of us mothers who are feeling like we really failed this year. I think that moms feel like this normally, not all moms, but a lot of, you know, we hold a lot of guilt. We always feel like we could be doing more. I think this year attempting to keep our own mental health in check while taking care of our family and being with each other all the time has taken a toll on all of us. And I think that, you know, as I mentioned in my story, I feel like, oh my God, did I just mess up my kids for life after this year? Or will I do sometimes say to them, do you think one day when you're a parent, you'll look back at this time and be like, wow, I can't even imagine how my parents did that. (laughs) I just want you to keep that in mind one day if you're able to look back and give us a little empathy because it's it's scary to me. I, I do worry that, you know, with my own withdrawal from even them and it's not them it's just it's a lot of time together so sometimes you're you're okay sort of locking yourself in a room i go back to the adjustment of it right i think it's going to be hard for parents i think it's believe it or not even though they'll have their little break but i think there's going to be that sense of um what do you call it uh, of loss uh, kind of like this grieving process that's going to happen and also not knowing how their kids are going back in terms of safety, right? Some parents I'm sure will be concerned about that, but also finding, you know, 
this purpose and cherishing a for those who are still in quarantine, these moments that we have together now, I think when you are able to step back and say, wow, soon I'm not going to have this anymore. Right. I know some parents may go, oh, yay. Awesome. Can't wait for that day to happen. Um, Or you'll have the other side, you know, just realizing, wow, let me just cherish this moment. Let me cherish this time right now because I'm not going to have this back. And then right away, suddenly, you know, you may feel this sense of calming and comfort. So, I think we all have to prepare ourselves to this change happening. And, you know, we just have to take it day by day because some people may not experience anything, no stressors. They may feel amazing and just find themselves again versus you may have those who are really going to struggle. So we're going to see two different sides here for sure. But would you give some advice on communicating with our our teens, our tweens and teens, about sort of what we're, what we're going through and, you know, doing what we're doing for them as well. I mean, I, I most of the time I say to my kids, guys, I'm, I'm really trying to do the best I can. You know, this is, this has been hard. It's been hard for a lot of parents and they have a joke. This like started at the beginning of COVID where I, it's not a joke. It actually happens where I will, it, I, you know, I'll have made dinner and everyone's complaining and everyone's fighting and no one wants to eat what I made or whatever's going on in that big moment. And I'll just look at everyone. I mean, this, this has happened, you know, maybe a handful of times in the past year where I'm just like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done with all of this. I'm done with being mom. I'm just done. Now. I'm done right now. And I'll just kind of run away into my room, close the door like a teenager. And, um, you know, they, they, it's now like the family joke. They're like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm like, all right, guys, I, I hear you. It's not the most mature way to be, but sometimes, sometimes you just completely burn out and you can't take another second. You know, I think about those moments, like, are they, is it, are they going to laugh or are they going to have some serious issues because of it? Well, look, I, I, I call it mommy needs a timeout. Okay. So right. mommy needs a timeout and you can totally tell this to your teens. And I love that. And I'll tell you why, because look, am I saying, I'm saying it calmly, you know, I'm feeling those emotions. I'm feeling a little high strung. Maybe it's too much sensory input around you. I mean, you've been working all day or you've been doing, I mean, there's, we're home all day, right? So with parents who have multiple kids in the home, they're working. There's a lot of chores that the house is dirty or there's laundry, there's loads and loads. And this is hard, right? We, I mean, you're probably feeding uh, at all hours of the day. And on top of that, doing your work and your kids needing help with homework or whatever it is. So it's constant, constant motion, by the way, can't wait till they're all back. For, you know, pre-pandemic, just think about it. I mean, maybe even for you, because you've experienced this is you had those three hours of relaxation, so to speak, right? During the day, you've had that time to regroup. Even if it was going into work, you were still socializing with other adults. So for you to be able to say, and I've said this pre-pandemic and post, mommy needs time out or mommy needs a break or whatever the code word you want to use. And you let them know ahead of time, hey, when I say this, I'm not abandoning you at that moment. I'm not walking away from my issue right now or what I'm struggling with struggling with at that moment like you are too as a teenager when you get upset you probably get into a tantrum you go into your room and you lock the door I'm doing this calmly and I'm going to tell you when I'm going to do it and then I'm going to leave for 10 minutes and then I'll come back so I think that's very positive actually because it's showing how you're handling an internal feeling and then you're role modeling that to your kids so if they're feeling out of you know out of it or just feeling stressed about something, saying, mom, I just need a little break. They go to their room, but make sure that we're talking about that afterwards. So even you saying something like, I'm feeling really overwhelmed right now. Remember we talked about the emotions and feelings with our kids. It's okay to share and say, Hey, I'm just feeling a little overwhelmed right now. Just give me a moment. I, you know, that's totally reasonable. Um, because we are human at the day, uh, you know, at the end of the day. And, uh, not everything has to be perfect, so to speak. We don't have to be collected all the time. That's totally fine. <laughs> yeah, I think having those conversations with your kids after, I mean, I, I've I've definitely had explosive moments in this pandemic, and I've always kind of come in and talked to each of them individually and said, hey, I, I'm sorry that happened. You know, it's this, this, and that, and, and this is hard. And, you know, I just kind of lost it, and I probably should have handled it differently. And, you know, I, I, I do try to do that. So I think it's, I think they appreciate that. I love that advice because I think it's important to make them feel both 
like they're not just kids, you know, they're humans that that have emotions also. And also just to kind of make them not afraid of whatever your reaction was. But I, my son said, you said at one point you didn't want to be our mom anymore. I was like, well, I didn't in that moment. I didn't want to be your mom. And I always want to be your mom. <laughs> I was like, but right there, I didn't want to be anything to anyone. I just wanted to be like away and alone by myself. And, you know, he's a little young to understand that. But my daughter loves her alone time. So I think she kind of she kind of got it. I think the other thing also is that for adults, I think for those of us that are, I'm an introvert extrovert. I really like people. I, I, I like seeing people. I do not need to see them every day, but I do enjoy seeing people. And I think not having that in my life on a regular basis or seeing friends makes parenting really difficult because you're, you're always with this, you know, the same people over and over and over again. And in the moments where I've had dinner with friends in this pandemic, I come home a different person. I'm a different person the entire next day. So I think it's something to remember as moms that, you know, you're also not getting the socialization that you had prior to this. And for some of us, that really helps us to feel normal, to be heard, to laugh, to be stupid with our friends, to just, you know, talk about something other than, I, I don't know about you, but when I go out with my girlfriends, I'm like, you can talk about kids for five minutes and then we're talking about anything else. Because I just, you know, you want it to just be fun and and not, you know, everybody talking about their problems. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I think um, you're, you're talking about self-care and that's always, you know, when I, I've been, I teach parenting classes over 10 years now and my classes are it's called positive parenting. And I would always start with that in week one, which is self-care is so important. And the question I often ask is, what does it mean to be a good parent, right? And that's number one on my list is self-care. I started with self-care and I ended at self-care. And think about it this way. If you're not suffering as a parent, that means you're not being a good parent. And I always say, what does that really mean? People will say, well, what do you mean? And that means I don't want to suffer. And it's like, no, what it means is you're struggling, right? You're having that breakdown. You are detaching. You are having a hard time. That means you care and that's normal and that's healthy. It's not unreasonable. And these are all normal emotions. And I think the most powerful thing to take away from what you said is going back and rechecking and saying, you know, I shouldn't have said this. I'm sorry. That's a key word is saying, I'm sorry. A lot of parents have a hard time apologizing because they see it as a sign of weakness. Or even, you know, when I'm teaching uh, leadership and training, I tell people the most powerful thing you can do is apologize when you're wrong. Because as a leader, as you're running a company, or if you're a parent, or if you're a sibling, or if you're a best friend, whoever you are in whatever role that a conflict occurs, when you know you've done wrong or you've made a mistake, and I teach my kids the same thing, you have to apologize for it, right? Because that's telling the other person that, A, I recognize what I did, and you know what? I'm here to fix it. How can we fix this together? And that's collaborative, right? Conflict resolution, which definitely, like you were saying, is role modeling that is so, so powerful. And they'll just look at you with like a deer in headlights. Did mom just say sorry or dad just said sorry? Wow. And you would expect that too from them if, you know, maybe they got into a big argument with their sibling or they said something they shouldn't have said. Role modeling empowers them to then say sorry when it's their turn. Kind of finishing up and talking about self-care as parents, which I think is is almost the most important component to this conversation because I think it's just, you know, A, um, modeling something for our children, but B, being able to be there, being able to have these these conversations with them, being able to actually see what they're going through. We're not doing that. We're unable to do all of that. But why do you think that... I know for a fact from talking to my friends and myself, wh why do moms have such a difficult time with self-care and, and feeling guilt about taking care of themselves? I think it comes down to a matter of time. What do, do I have time? And I say that self-care could even be 10 minutes of your time. So I think what's helpful for parents to remember is that, and just in general, right? Parent, uh, you know, caregiver, father, mother, aunt, uncle, is to take care of ourselves first. And that may mean different things for different people. For you, it could be yoga. For me, it could be a walk. For the other person, it could be listening to a podcast or a mindfulness exercise. Uh, what I find helpful so that parents remember this, and I say, at least give yourself 10 minutes of self-care a day and 
really hold yourself to that. And as a reminder, just grab a piece of paper and write down your top three self-care things or five that you want to do this week. That really works because it helps as a reminder and parents will report back feeling better. They feel more energized. Even if it's going around the block and taking a walk or a run or whatever it is, that's also self-care or doing a face mask or doing your nails or whatever it is that makes you, you know, just have some time and space for you. And I I also think if it means that you're giving up doing something that you were going to do that day, that's maybe does not need to. Ha- I know a lot of us, especially me, I like to get everything done. But if it means that like I leave some dishes in the sink instead and I take a walk instead, I think we have to learn right now, especially to just let go of those things and do that. And And as far as telling our kids, you know, is there, I would imagine there's a positive message with self-care. How do we communicate to them that we need to take that time. Well, and they need their time, correct? Right, right. It goes hand in hand. So I like that you bring that up. Well, this is my time, right? May, oh, maybe it could be a bath. I was just thinking about that. And this is mommy's self-care time. And I would use those words, self-care, because that go, is, is such a powerful message and explaining, you know, I need that time for myself the same way you need some time in your room by yourself and you don't want anyone bothering you. You just want to put your earphones on and listen to music. This is my self-care. So it's mommy self-care time. And this is not something you really thought about, right? In the past, because maybe you just did, did do it. And it wasn't something you thought twice about, but now that you have a house full of kids and, or you feel busier, it's harder for parents to take that step back. So I always say, okay, what is, one thing, you know, the minute you wake up, uh, that should be the first thing on your mind is not going on your phone, not looking at your emails, nothing. That's not self-care. Self-care is reminding yourself, okay, what am I going to do today for myself for 10 minutes? Right. And that could be a stretch. That could be putting a quick yoga for 15 minutes on YouTube. That could be listening to, uh, to your podcast, you know, whatever it is that makes them feel good for those 10 or 15 minutes. I do try to tell my friends all the time that don't listen to podcasts. I'm like, podcast is a great way to get a quick therapy session because <laughs> you can really learn so much. And it's such a it's such a great, you know, go take a walk and do it. I, I started listening to podcasts for the first time this summer. I had already started a podcast and I didn't really listen to many. I listened to one or two, but I started listening to more just looking up something I was interested in. And then it really, I felt so much better after I'd listened to it. So it's funny. I'm glad you mentioned that. I'm not just saying that as a podcast host. I do think that there's really something therapeutic in listening to podcasts or, or an audible. Absolutely. My, my 13 year old, this is her nightly ritual. She'll take her shower and then she has to put her podcast on and they find their own podcasts. And and I think, again, that goes back to role modeling. I think she saw me once listening to something and was interested and then said, oh, okay. And then just on her own, went to Spotify. And how old is she? 13. What does she listen to? It's an anxiety podcast, but she says, I love the voice of the, of the person. I, I can share it with you. I oh, you're going to have to share that with me off this here. <laughs> I think that- last night I was like, what are you listening to? And she's like, oh, it's my podcast. And I said, I just love her voice. It is so soothing. And then, you know, she has her uh, mister in, in the room, um, you know, with the essential oils, she puts the lavender. So these are all things that really help and promote sleep and just relaxing. That's her self-care time, for example, and just relaxing for 15 minutes and just unwinding. So every, I really believe that tweens and teens have their own self-care moments and what they enjoy. So you can bring that also as a parallel, you know, and saying, well, this is my self-care time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Just like you do, because when they can connect with you on that level, it's so powerful. Yeah. And I'm just starting to see that with my kids. They are doing their own type of self-care and, or I just want to be, I, I need to be alone. And so when those moments happen for me, I'm like, guys, I just need to be alone. It has nothing to do with you. And, uh, they, you know, they do get it. They do get it. So, so for those of you with younger kids, that guilt does get better as your kids get older and they understand more. So um, keep practicing your self-care. Well, Regine, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I know we kind of bounced around a little bit on different things, but I think these are all questions that parents are asking. And there's so much more to this. I know that. But I do think 
there was a little reassurance in here for all of us that we're, we're doing the best that we can. And we take some of those tools that we were kind of working on before the pandemic and just make sure that they're, they're still in use uh, because there are some of those that are the most important ones to use right now. Yes. And, you know, I, I just want to give a big shout out to all moms out there and dads and caregivers and grandparents yes. who, you know, give yourself a pat on the back for working from home and starting something new or, and taking care of your kids and just step back and realize how successful, successful you have been just because you got through it. Success is taking step by step day by day and you did it. And my hats off go to all parents out there, everyone who's tackled this the best they can. And I think that's an important reminder too, is to say, wow, I did get through this. This is hard, but I'm taking it step by step and I'm doing a great job. So be proud of you. I'm waiting for the parade. Like, <laughs> where's the caregiver parade that we're all going to get? I, I wanna, I wanna, I'm waiting for the big finale, <laughs> the um, celebration. I know. Yes, absolutely. I think it's much needed. Can't wait. Please tell all of the listeners where they can find you. And I believe you have two books out. Have uh, yes, two books out: Frankie and the Worry Bees, and Frankie and His Homeschool Adventures. And I have a third one coming out, focusing on talent. So excited for that one! And they can find me at www.regine.maradian.com, and I'm also on Instagram under Dr. Regine Maradian. And those books are for what age? Those books, oh gosh, seven. I would say seven to seven years old to. 13, but believe it or not, my young adults have loved it because I have an activity at the end and I just explain, uh, one of them is really explaining anxiety and how it presents for Frankie. And um, I make a comparison to the bees buzzing in your head as mm -hmm. the negative thoughts and really teaching positive reinforcement and the power of positive communication. Because what you put out there, that's what you get back. And um, it really helps kids to see anxiety differently and to see how it presents in different situations, such as at school, at home, and with friends and what he can do. So you can find those on Amazon. That's great. Thank you. Thank you so much for shedding light on this topic and uh, for coming on the show today. And I'd love to have you back for another topic because I'm sure there's another one that's going to come up. This was actually something that was uh, requested through a few of my listeners. So I, I hope that we were able to answer as much as we possibly could today. But if there are follow-up questions for Dr. Maradian or if you want some more on another episode, please feel free to DM me or email me. It's not a crisis at gmail.com. Until next time. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to give yourself permission and know that you are not alone. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Reviews are always appreciated. And you can reach me by email at it's not a crisis at Gmail, Instagram, it's not a crisis podcast, and please join our Facebook group as well. Until next time, just remember, it's not a crisis. <laughs>